Welcome to The Monkey Dish, a podcast for those that want a little bit more from the kitchen. I'm Link Clark, your host. Today we're stepping outside to talk with Wendy Wan, a former line cook in New York City that moved to Texas to follow her passion for porchetta. Welcome to The Monkey Dish. Um, I'm here with... Wendy Wan. Of Wanderlust Food Truck. Food trailer. Food trailer, sorry. No engine in my truck. <laughs> Is that true? No no engine, so it was a trailer. Wait, but you did, oh, for some reason I don't think I remember what? hearing that. That you, how did you get it over there? You gotta rent or own a truck to drag the thing. So whose truck did you get to bring it up from San Marcos? A friend. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, oh I go to Enterprise, or you can go to U-Haul, or you can go to Home Depot. Well, I think U-Haul's better. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny, I didn't realize that. A lot of people do that, not everybody owns a truck. about that when you were buying this one or was it just a cost it's a cost uh i mean if i have a truck i'll probably try and do more events it's easier to move when you have a trailer you just should be stationary you only move once a year when you have like uh to go for your inspection or if you somebody really want to pay you a lot of money then you go for like a wedding or something you don't want to do private catering but it's really not a good idea to move a food trailer just too hard yeah, it's too hard. Wait, who inspects it? City Austin. Really? You yeah. have to drive it over there to them? Well, they want to make sure that you're mobile. Oh, Yeah. right. That's funny. Yeah, it's, it, we all hate it. Every year <laughs> we dread it. Because not only are you having to get up early to do that, it's a whole day of planning and, you know, putting everything down so they don't fall. And But then also, like, you got to pay them money. Lots of money. (laughs) (laughs) How many people do you have? This is one of the things that I bet should be in the pamphlet. If there was to be a pamphlet on, like, what you need to know before you buy a food truck or food trailer. There is. I read it. I read it like a Bible in New York City. Oh, really? Before I even, like, I I did all my homework before I came out here. So in New York City, Brooklyn, especially, there's a really good business library. You get all the uh, information about opening business. And I found a book that was pretty much for a food trailer. Huh. I was and, like, what you need to know and yeah, what you need to do. Yeah, I mean, there's other stuff on the web, too. Like, especially the city of Austin, they, you know, they tell you what to do. But this book was really good. And I, and I, and I studied religiously before I even came out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's back up a little bit then. So what drove you, uh, metaphorically, to want to drop everything in New York and come out here? And, and because I, the rat race in New York, being a female professional cook, I just felt like I would never be able to climb the ladder to become management, you know, sous chef, chef, whatever, especially not having have culinary background, you know, uh, so I just felt like I was never going to make it ever, you know, just I felt a little stuck, so I decided to do this. Hmm. Yeah. What do you think they look for when they're looking for people that climb, like, you, you mentioned being a, a, a woman chef. Like, why would that make it harder in New York? Well, know? I think that whole industry was maybe not so much right now in this day and age, but still, I think the whole culinary industry is geared towards male. Like in anything, the whole society, even in the, in the kitchen, professional kitchen. Maybe not like your home cooking kitchen, you know, like, but definitely in like those upscale, you know, uh, professional kitchen, I think, is still very hard for a female. 
So you... It's a very male-dominated culture, the kitchens are. I mean, yeah. when I work in the kitchen, I, I'm the only female most of the time. Do you, did you find it hard to um, adapt? Because not only is it male-dominated, there's also a very specific kind of culture. And it's very, like, aggressive, and at least in my experience, it has been aggressive. Oh, yeah, and kind it of, is. It can be mean. It can be, like, very... Um, it is. I mean, it's just not very comfortable when you're like always having to be rush, rush, rush. You're just not going to be happy and relax. You can't be relaxed. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that stress, you wouldn't be able to get out a hundred dinner a night, whatever it is that it takes, you know. And it's hot, you know. It's Wait, just... You moved to Texas, Whitney. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what were you, I guess, most scared of? So you got your books from the library, um, in Brooklyn Public Library, is a good library. Full disclosure, Whitney and I knew each other before Texas, uh, barely through a friend, so. Um, so, what were you scared of before the move uh, down to Texas? Like, you had your book, you learned everything you needed to learn. Well, I think I was scared of not being, having a business background more than anything. I didn't go to business school. You know, I still, like, like me not going to culinary school, I already feel like I'm def a little bit defeated. So now that I'm opening a business and not being business inclined, didn't take any business course, that's another thing against me, you know. But but now that I've been doing it for a while, I realize that nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Was that an important step, like meeting all the other food truck or food trailer owners? Like getting into the community, I guess? Well, like I said, nobody knows what they do. So you got to be careful who you talk to because most people don't know. They will give you bad advice. Oh. So you don't... Actually, for me, I don't really want to talk to anybody. Oh. Except for the people that I know are successful. Right. Like, right at my park right now, I I uh, seek advice from John from Biscuit Ruby, who has two trailers, one up in Maynard. Mm -hmm. That was his first one. He's very successful. He's very business savvy. And uh, I ask him a question all the time. And he's very friendly and very willing to share. But I don't, I don't just ask any food trailer <laughs> owner. Because <laughs> then I'll get bad advice. <laughs> well, what, what piece of advice have you learned recently that you wish you could go back and tell younger Wendy? Or like a future owner? Is there anything you've learned recently on the business side? Oh, well, I don't know. There's so much. It's hard for me to... Like, just come up with one thing, yeah. you know. <laughs> I mean, you must be learning all the time, then, because it feels like it's... I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I probably should be doing that I'm still not doing, like, probably better bookkeeping, you know, uh, more better with the numbers, and... But uh, when you run your own business, you're the only person doing it, it's really hard. For me, that is the last thing I want to do. You know, I want to get the food cook, the supplies purchased... The trailer clean, the dishes wash, all that is done before I sit down and look at the books. And by then you're not in the mood. Or would you ever be in the mood? Like, nah. Nah. <laughs> I feel like you talk to some people and some take to the business side almost more than they take to the, the cooking side at times. Well then, yeah, I mean, I guess what it should be, they should have a business partner. They, they should have a partner where one person's doing the cooking, one person's doing the business. It's usually how it is in restaurants. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe for a, a food trailer, it's just not. If there's anything I found out, you either make enough to support one or two people uh, as a sole proprietor, or you 
have a really you know lucrative then you have a big staff then you just spend all your time trying to manage and finding staff you know so that's what I see happening like John's one of those person he has a big staff and he's always managing you know his staff yeah where I'm me that is just me so I don't and that's the way you like it though Yes, it is. To be fair, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, if I've learned anything from you, it's you're not a big fan. But of I'm it. not the only one. I've, no. I've actually talked to recently uh, Tylicious. He has his family, and he said he doesn't want to make any more than he needs. Hmm. He doesn't want to grow big. You know, it didn't seem like it to me. And I felt like, oh, I could understand. We're kinder spirit. Hmm. So, yeah. Do you think... That's an interesting one, because I feel like... In restaurants, you now too the ones that you see all over the place are like the restaurant groups where they're just growing and growing and growing. Like David Chang. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> David Chang, and you know it's uh it's almost like that's what indicates success versus like you just being happy with what you cook, right? And you just want to be happy with what you cook and and be content. But that. I've also heard story of a lot of chefs that. A lot of business closed because they can't manage the staff or hire enough staff. That I've heard that a lot. Not even with just restaurant. I just heard recently with a dog grooming place right by where I work. Mm -hmm. She just closed because so she couldn't find staff either. Wow. Yeah. So I don't think, yeah, I think you could do it, but hmm. <laughs> you want to spend all day doing that. And right. And that's not why you got into it. No, I mean, I would like to grow and have a staff, but maybe not multiple, you know, trailer or, or restaurant or whatever. I wouldn't have one, mind having one or two. I'd like to have more business to be able to do that. Sure. But it just kind of a slow grow for me right now. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dig into why you did it. So what was your first menu idea? Like, what did you want to put on there and why? Porchetta. Yeah. Why? Because uh, I was in New York City as a professional cook, young cook. Well, not that young, but I cook anyways. <laughs> and on my day off, I was walking around East Village and I saw Poketa, that this store that opened, that had like counter seating and a big Poketa inside. And I had, I was just like, what is that? I have no idea what it is. I've never heard of it. So one day I purchased the Poketa and I ate it and I was so in love. <laughs> what was it about? One, actually, just explain what porchetta is for those who don't know. And then two, like, what was it that you loved about it that, like, just drew you in? I think it was the fact that uh, the chef, uh, Sarah Jenkins, she made it. And she made it uh, in a very high, uh, upscale way where she used the heritage pork. And she used fennel pollen. So it's the best porchetta you would ever have. Hmm. Uh, I think that was part of it, and the whole flavor of the fennel and the pork and uh, the crispy skin and the fat of the belly. Poke is made of pork belly and pork loin with fresh herbs and garlic that's all rubbed in it and tied up and slow roasted to the crispy on the outside and juicy on the inside. Right, because the loin's in the center, right? That's right. So yeah. it's kind of like, it's almost like if you think of a sushi. <laughs> so the long meat of rice and the belly is the fish. <laughs> I always, whenever I make it, I always look at it. I was like, this is like a sushi roll. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it was one that Sarah Jenkins was doing like high quality pork. Um, and then two, it was also simple. Or what else did you like? What else drew you into it? 
the flavor just, yeah, just how delicious. and how like uh what's that word uh exotic to me it was because mm. i've never heard of it you know like i've well okay maybe i'm wrong i have heard of it because when i was working as a cook in el buco Mm-hmm. They serve porchetta there, but I was the only uh, salad cook that wasn't allowed to do anything but my job. So I never got to taste it. I knew it was there and everybody made it and they sold it, but I have never <laughs> tasted it or I didn't know. Did you I, even see it I go out or were you that far down the line you couldn't even see it go I saw out. it come out of the oven and I saw them butchering it and I smelled it, but that was about it. Mm. I wasn't allowed to taste it. <laughs> <laughs> so but it was it wasn't until and she was, I think she's the one that's brought was the first chef that made pokeda at Ibuko and then she left oh, okay. and they kept it and then one of the uh, uh, senior cook uh, took over of preserving it at that restaurant and so they were very proud of it and um, yeah, and then when she opened that little store on 7th Street, that was when I finally get to go in and buy it and eat it and not have to feel like I have to sneak in and get yelled at. Because <laughs> <laughs> you definitely worked at more traditional um, restaurants in New York, right? In terms of the like hierarchy and like the very strong like order. Yeah. 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 Um, not like a casual spot. No, not, no, they find dining there. Uh, I think El Buco is five stars now. Mm-hmm. You know, I work in mostly three star, two to three star, or they strive to be, they're trying to be three stars, you mm-hmm. know, like, so they kind of follow all the procedures. When you're trying to be a three star restaurant, it's, it's just very strict in the back of the house. Yeah. From cleanliness to everything, you don't just cheat nothing, you know, like. Were you uh, a rarity then, not coming from a culinary school background? And working at like uh, fine dining spot? No, because every restaurant needs cook. Okay. You know? As long as you're like not stupid. And... <laughs> <laughs> if you have some kind of talent, they're gonna hire you. <laughs> and you're willing to work hard. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you're willing to make a little bit of money. Yeah. You know, not no, not, I don't think a lot of people could live on a cook salary. I think it was a very difficult thing. I think, I don't think most people could survive. No. Especially in New York City, you know. Yeah. How did you do it then? I don't know. I just was very frugal, and yeah, maybe that was it. And I was lucky. I found like affordable apartment, and I bike a lot. I didn't really, you know, even take the subway. <laughs> Which sounds funny, but that's like that could be a hundred bucks a month, right? Oh yeah, yeah. easily. <laughs> and it's like I don't like I don't sometimes like I don't mind taking the subway, especially in the summertime when it's nice and AC or in the winter when I have heat. But sometimes you gotta wait so long that it's not even worth. Like I'm very impatient. I had not wait for a train for an hour, you know. <laughs> By then you could have been home. Yeah, especially like the cook schedule, you gotta work after midnight and then all that's construction, mm-hmm. you know, so I'd rather ride a bike. I mean see that you take a cab and I really wouldn't be able to afford that. Right. <laughs> what um what surprised you about the transition to here? Like well first to clarify, you, you went to San Marcos first, right, before Austin. And that's yes. what, forty five minutes south of here? No, 30 minutes. 30 minutes? It's yeah. college town. Yes. So what surprised you about that transition? Because that's a pretty drastic change from like fine dining in New York City to food trailer in a small 
central Texas town. Yes, but also it was a good training wheel for me. I don't think I would want to come right to Austin to, because Austin was actually is harder than San Marcos. You know, you have to be. It's so much more competitive here, and so hard to stand out here. So difficult, and then you have to be in someone's like path. You know what I mean? If they don't work by you, or if they don't. If they don't live or it's not by the commute, they're not going to come to you unless you go to your favor and DoorDash and Grubhub and all that. But you still have to stand out in a, you know, all the million of food trailers and, and restaurants. Where in St. Marcus, it was easier because I was the only one that was doing something like that. Mm. So in a way, even though it was a small town or a college town or whatever, it, it was easier for me because I was the only person making... I mean, even Austin, I'm kind of still have a very unique menu. Yeah, I don't, I can't think off the top of my head anyone that's serving porchetta and brick and mortar or, or trailer. Oh, well, they do. Let's see, I think 50 North does porchetta pizza. Okay. Uh, there's some, there's yeah. some Italian place, but like I do a fusion, which nobody does, which is a porchetta by me or a Singapore noodle with porchetta in it mm. or any of the noodles with porchetta. And so it's more, so that in a way is unique. Yeah, that I don't think anybody's doing that. No, definitely not. What's on the porchetta banh mi? It's just it's like a banh mi, yeah, yeah, but with porchetta oh. and on chivada instead of a baguette. Oh, that is different. Well, Did it's you a pate or no? No, no, no just no. porchetta. Just porchetta. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just started doing uh, uh, pork katsu, and I made a sandwich where you could have both porchetta and pork katsu. Oh wow! Yeah, I That's call a it lot of pork. What's it called? It's pork casu and with pork head, I just call it a combo. Okay. Yeah. What else is on there? It's just lettuce, tomato, and pickles, and uh, some uh, sriracha, lemon mayo. Nice. I just want to keep it more simple because I feel like I'm already doing something that's so far out that I want people to be able to recognize lettuce, tomato, and pickles. <laughs> <laughs> And ciabatta, I would imagine most people know ciabatta, right? Yeah, but most people just want lettuce, tomato, and pickles on their, oh, okay. you know, on a sandwich. They don't yes. want anything like, like for instance, my boss hog has like caramelized onions, you know, and chimichurri. So that's very like, kind of like different. Yeah. Where I think if I did something at least recognizable, the people would order it. <laughs> and was that the case when you first opened up down in San Marcos? Or were you going just straight, this is what I want to put on there? Like, how long did it take you to learn that? Like, uh, immediately, yeah. especially in San Marcos, nobody knew what Pojeta was. Everybody just walked by me. <laughs> 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 or they try, and, they, they try and order it, they can't even pronounce it, you know, like, so, I mean, that's not their fault. You yeah. know, nobody speak Italian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have to go out there, like, at the mall and serve samples, or had you No, I'm not really that kind of person. I don't, <laughs> I don't like to give out samples. Like, you, do you go out to a barbecue restaurant and ask for a sample? I don't think so. <laughs> Nobody's giving you the meat for free. Now, I do give meat to doggies. Oh, really? That's funny. <laughs> but they're usually my older pieces. That okay. I don't want, I don't think it's good for humans anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you convince people then? Uh, if they're, because the thing about the... I don't, I wait for them to come to me. I oh, you, to, don't, you don't do anything. I don't, I hate being that person that's out there like trying to like grab people's mm. attention and being all like, like the lady that, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in the, in the, you know, 2019 when like people's pets have instagram accounts like what do you do then oh for that like in terms of like exposure and social media and getting out there 
Well, of course I do that. Yeah. But you know, I can only take so many pictures of my sandwich. <laughs> it started getting boring. I mean, I'm not taking any more pictures. <laughs> That's it. I, I did it so many different ways. You <laughs> not a very big menu, but I just get tired. No, I'll, I'll do an Instagram post if I have a special or mm. when I'm gonna move, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. But I'm not taking many more pictures of my menu. <laughs> do you encourage your customers to do it? Oh uh, no. No. no, I don't really do that. Okay. If they want to do it, they could do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, what you said the menu is not that big. Well, how many no, things? No, are I said it is very. Oh, big. it is big. Have yeah. you, has it grown? Like it's, it's, all, uh, it's grown from the first year. Yeah. But it's always been big. It's always been big because I could never. And I always tell myself, I'm going to take something off. You know, I don't have any space. I got to make it simplified. But I can't do it. I just can't. Why? I, in fact, I just keep adding <laughs> because I get excited and I want to keep creating. I want to keep adding. You know, I don't want to just have three items. So, how many sandwiches do you have now? Oh, I'm count. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, probably five or six, six sandwiches, okay. and I got six noodles. Oh wow! Dishes, and I got that salad that's the, very popular. The kale salad. Yes. But what? Tell us a little bit about that one because your kale salad is not like you know you see kale salad everywhere. So why is yours different? Oh, because I make, uh, I think it's the preserved lemon dressing that makes it with the Asiago cheese and the apple. It's the whole combination, mm -hmm. at least my customer tells me, and I, the customer that gets it, that comes back for it all the time, you know, they understand the balance of it, how, because the preserved lemon is very salty and, I guess, lemony. <laughs> And then, but mixed with the Asiago cheese, which is very salty as well. So you got to balance it with the apple. But that's what kind of like, because kale could be kind of bitter. You know, mm -hmm. some people like the taste of kale and some people don't. So with that strong dressing and all the combination, that's, you know, so makes a good salad. You make, the own, uh, make your own preserved lemon? I do. Can you do. tell us a little bit about that? Because I don't think a lot of people are familiar with that ingredient. Martha Stewart talks about it. <laughs> <laughs> That is not where you learned about preserved lemon. No, I actually learned it from a I learned it from a chef named Matt Hamilton at a restaurant I worked at my last restaurant in New York called Bellcourt that was on the East Village on Second Avenue, which is not no longer there. It went out of business, but uh, I learned it from him. And it's basically uh, the way you preserve lemon is back from the old days where there's no refrigeration and you preserve everything and you preserve it in salt. That's all it is: salt, lemon juice and some spice and you keep in room temperature for over a week week two weeks so what are you slicing if the lemon's standing up on its you know little ends you slicing across like that or quarters or how do you do it you could do it this there's a lot of different ways the way i do i actually cut a little pieces because i'm going to turn it into dressing anyways so a lot of uh, restaurants only use the uh, the peel. They don't use the whole lemon, but I use everything. I use the peel, the lemon juice as preservatives. I, I don't throw anything away. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's such a hard process that I'm not throwing that in the wastebasket. It all tastes good. Yeah. I mean, a whole lemon is preserved. I don't see why you can't use the, you know, the middle part. I mean, I don't use a seed. That 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 is kind of a pain to get all seed out. Yeah. I don't like that part. Do you think owning a food trailer has made you more efficient as a chef in terms of not wasting versus like when you were at a you know bigger restaurant and uh, I think that the level of like not wasting that whole, is so 
great. I, I'm still trying to like not waste. Like I, I can look back a year ago of why I was doing it, and I was being. I felt like I was being wasteful then, hmm. with not only with the food, but with like. So when you work in food trailer, you dishes and gray water is a big expense. Even in Austin, you know, you live in these apartments, you get charged if you use too much water. <laughs> so you don't want to use a spoon and then and then we use another spoon and wash that, you know, then you have a lot of dirty dishes. So even to, to me, everything from food to the dishes to everything, I want to be conservative because mm. it's my time. I have to spend my time washing it, cleaning it. So I don't want to waste it, you know. Yeah. What, can you go, this may seem like a strange question, but what is gray water? Oh, so it's the water that you wash dishes. So that's gray water, black water. The black water is when you go to the bathroom. That's really disgusting. And <laughs> gray water is the water that you wash dishes. It turns gray. So what are they, it doesn't go just out to the ground. So what do no, they need to do? It goes in a tank and then the, the worst part about owning a food trailer. So you're going to empty it and you got to bring that water into a place where you're supposed to empty a great water, which is your commissary kitchen. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it's a lot of time, you know, first of all, you have to pay for a commissary, which is required anyways, but you gotta like, and then it smells bad. And then like, it's just a lot of work. So is it just a giant like tub? It's, That's right. And you have to unplug it, put it in your car and take it with you? Yeah. Oof. <laughs> That's just like another thing that they don't tell you. Is that in the pamphlet too? Yeah, it is. What? Okay. But you don't really know that part until you do it, how horrible it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all part of only a food trailer. Yeah, so it's not for everybody because, you know, I guess you don't even think about when you wash dishes. We all think everything, kind of like the trash. We just throw everything in the trash and it's like, it's all going in the trash. It's going to go away. Well, obviously that's not happening. You know, there's so much plastic in our ocean now. Mm. So, no, not everything goes away. Mm. You know, even like your water, we don't think about that. You know, just drill down. Especially in Texas, everybody has a garbage disposal. Mm. I don't ever see that when I was in New York City. That's true. I, don't, I, I was told that it's not legal in New York. I don't think it is because their sewers are so old. Um, the last time I was there, they actually had a subway ad about fatbergs. And when people pour oil down their oh, drains or worse. fat or bacon grease... It, cl- it actually clogs up the sewer pipes the same way it clogs up your hearts. <laughs> you know, I mean, your uh, Yeah, it happens in the restaurant I work at. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, I'm like, why do you let people pour grease? Like, if I was, like, owning a restaurant, I'm going to make sure nobody's pouring because when it gets backed up, it's so gross. That so grease gross. trap in the restaurant, I have never, like, the whole basement of this restaurant was flooded with grease. Oh. And the smell was the worst smell. Oh. So it's like, why do you let anybody do <laughs> Don't let them do it. Oh, that's so great. That's enough for me to never want to own a restaurant. Yeah? Just the potential for a grease trap, like, Oh, the bathroom, up. the whole bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> the restroom. You don't have to worry about that with a trailer. The public ba- restroom that you have to deal with. Like that and stuff, all, all those things combined, I never want to open. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I what, guess if, you, what if a business partner came to you and said, I'll take care of all of those things. Would you do it? Would you uh, make the transition well, to brick and mortar? No, because I'll be the chef, and I and the chef always have a deal with grease trap. <laughs> <laughs> now they'll they, yeah, if they want to hire a staff, but then I'm still the chef, and I'm gonna want to know my staff. I'm gonna have to do hiring. Yeah, I mean, and probably firing too. Well, maybe if there was a sous chef, you make them do that. <laughs> that would be a sous chef. Yeah, to do the firing. <laughs> Usually, a sous chef does. Yeah, that. I yeah. didn't know that. 
<laughs> well, yeah, well, a chef de cuisine, and it is executive chef, and right. sous chef. Sous chef got to be the muscle. <laughs> <laughs> I think that their uh, chef de cuisine is the creative, maybe, yeah. right? Yeah, I think that's right. Where menu writing, yeah. uh, executive chef makes all the call. Yeah, the big boss. <laughs> that's right. Huh. Um, well, so you said you've been coming up with more things to add to your menu. What? What have you been kicking oh, around? Oh, I haven't. No, no, no. I, I haven't. This I'm at my limit. Now it's oh. like, especially in Austin, it's all about maintaining what I have. Okay. I, it takes all my energy. There's no way I could like even be creative anymore. I don't, there's no room for it. The pork katsu is kind of more of a, uh, me being on Instagram a lot and looking at, I'm like, I could do that. <laughs> yeah, so tell me how you make that one. Well, that's so easy. I just take the pork loin, I slice it thin and bread it. And I already do the chicken milanese, so I already bread that and fry that. So flour, egg, and panko, you know, and just fry that. And that's, there you go, pork katsu. Huh. So <laughs> you already had the material really yeah. already ready to go. So it's like, oh, we might as well just pound out some pork. Yeah, pork and in, in a way, because people that won't eat porchetta, you know, they'll eat the pork katsu. Because everybody at a food, either food trailer wants something fried anyways. <laughs> That's I, a rule, like I think, something fried. Well, I think people just like fried food. I yeah. like fried food. Yeah. When will you be moving over there? Uh, after my inspection, whenever that, whenever I schedule that, sometime December. Okay. <laughs> the and they can time. find you online. Uh, what's your your address? Oh, well, your you can find me on Facebook. Yeah. And also on Instagram. Okay, and those are the easiest. Was your one list? Right. Food trailer? Food trailer, and yeah. uh, there's also Google and Yelp. Yeah, all the other places. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a website. It's called wantingtoseat.com if you want to look at my menu. Okay, and, and that stays up to date with six sandwiches and six noodles and, yes. and salads. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to The Monkey Dish. This episode was made possible by our producer, Jesse Hewling and editor, Kate Hurling, with theme music by John Dealey and the 41 Players. Please rate, subscribe, and let us know what you think of the show so far. Then go try Wendy's Porchetta, and I dare you to ask her for a free sample. She's at the Food Trailer Park on Cesar Chavez in North Pleasant Valley Road. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to bringing you a little bit more next time from The Monkey Dish. <laughs>